we're in week five of, uh, it was going to be a six-week series because of the whole Groundhog 12-week series. You weren't here that last week, that's a joke, but um, Jason appreciates my jokes. Thank you, Jason. Um, on identity, and you know, our challenge really is, is to stop living so much as orphans and living more as his child. If you weren't here last week, there's postcards that are scattered throughout here that we would love for you to take to keep in your Bible, to put somewhere important, um, to help just remind you of this reality, help you think through when you're living as an orphan instead of as a beloved child of God. So please avail yourself of those. Um, this morning, I'm going to take a little bit of a different tact with this. Um, I don't know, probably in the middle 90s is when I started learning about a lot of this, and a lot of what I've been sharing has just been kind of a, a journey since then of me learning more about what it means to have my identity built on Christ. But about, I don't know, my 26th, 27th year, I can't even put all these things together in ministry. I started struggling um, with a lot of fear and guilt that I had never struggled with before. Um, I did a lot of Bible studies with students, individually, groups, and then inevitably there would always be students in the middle of the semester who were like, we're interested in God, we're needing a study. And I could kind of work with that before, but it got to where I just was feeling so, my, because of the limitation of my time, like I, we would try to find a volunteer or something, and if we couldn't, I just was carrying this really heavy guilt, like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm responsible for the soul, and I don't have time, and I can't do this, and we can't find somebody, and fear, like, what's going to happen to them, and and what's God going to say to me? Like, man, you blew it. And I just was carrying a lot of um, really strong emotions. And part of it was tiredness. That was right before my sabbatical, uh, before I finally figured out that sabbaticals are not meant to be taken every 27 years. Um, they're, they're meant to be taken more often. I'd been pushing really hard for a long time. But part of it is there was something going on inside of me. And I couldn't figure it out. So during my sabbatical... Pat and I spent a few weeks in the Colorado Rockies. I mean, where else, right? Where else would you go? And while we were there, I spent a day with a very dear friend, a missionary, a retired missionary from 12th. And as we were talking, I realized, uh, I mean, he even came to me. He says, Garen, I've got a real major struggle. I'm retired, but I'm really struggling with a lot of guilt and fear. And as we talked, we realized that we both had the same problem. And as we talked, we, it, it really started to become clear what we were wrestling with. And what it really was is we were struggling very mightily with our weaknesses and limitations. That's what ultimately we were doing. We were struggling with our weaknesses and limitations. And as we talked, we came to realize that the root underneath it all is, is that really, he and I both, we wanted to do it all, have it all, be it all. That that was kind of what was underneath all of that. And that that was a different way that we were being tempted to live into an achieved identity and to, to like deny or wish we didn't have the weaknesses and limitations. And we're, I mean, that we were pursuing that and maybe the enemy was tempting us in that way. And it's actually an attack or a temptation that's not dissimilar from the one Adam and Eve faced. As we, so t this morning, you're going to hear what we talked about for, for about nine hours. Turn to Genesis 1 with me. I want to show you that Adam and Eve were tempted in this very same way that we were. And this frustration that we couldn't be all, have all, and do all. That's what I was dealing with. That's what he was dealing with. And if you look at the very first page in Genesis 1, God has, he's doing, it's all creation. He's created um, the land and the sea and the sky. He's created the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the birds, and the animals. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, we get to a creation of humans, the, the ultimate, the pinnacle of creation. And here's what it says. 
And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Just stop there. In our likeness. So from the very beginning, I want you to know that Adam and Eve's identity was received. It was bestowed upon them by God, and their identity was they were created in the likeness of God. They were created in the likeness of God. But then came an identity attack on them. Satan enters the picture as a serpent. So flip over to chapter 3, Genesis 3, and I want you to see what he does. It is so like, so insidious. Chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to see their temptation was really rooted in identity. So in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God. Stop. You will be like God. When you eat, you will be like God. Just as he did with Jesus, when as soon as he was baptized and the Father speaks his identity, he attacks him on that identity, which Jesus went through well. He does the same thing with the first man and the woman. The very beginning, he hits them at the point of their identity. Um, And I just want you to know, he's not changed his tactics. I said it week one. When he wants to attack us, I think so often he goes for the jugular, which is he'll hit me at my identity. But here's what I want you to see, that Satan came at them, trying to get them to question their received identity and to shift into achieved identity. Because he said this fascinating thing, when you eat, then you will be like God. But God had already created them to be what? To be like him. They already possessed that. It was who they were. They had received that. That's who they were in him. But he was convincing them that their identity, they would get it not by what God had said and bestowed on them, but they would get it by what they did. That that's how they would become like him. And his temptation of them was to become godlike. To become godlike. And I want to, Adam, I want you to know, he believed the lie, like I frequently believe the lie that comes to me, that his ultimate identity as a creature created by God um, in his image and likeness The lie was is to deny that identity and for him to not be content with his limited creatureliness. And he took the bait, no longer trusting in God and submitting to him. And in that garden, what happened is, is Adam and Eve gave in to that desire to be the all in all. They wanted to be all, do all, have all, right? They wanted to be the end all and the be all of existence. That's what that temptation was, to become godlike. And it was all about pride elevating themselves, being self-sufficient, self-sustaining, right, taking control. It was all about them self-constructing an identity, right, achieving their own identity, which I want to tell you is the very thing our culture is telling us to do today, the very thing our culture tells us to do. And do you see the insidious nature of self-constructing an identity, the insidious nature of that? Because in trying to free themselves of limitations to become godlike and freeing themselves of limitations... They brought the ultimate limitation into this world, which is death. And ever since that time, because of their attempt to define themselves apart from their creator to become godlike, we've all been experiencing an identity crisis. It's all rooted in Genesis. And I want you to know that that was my struggle, my friend's struggle. 
It was Adam's walking his path all over again, fighting. Man, I feel this so deeply. I was fighting against my creaturely limitations, not content being a creature. Um, it was just another manifestation of an achieved identity. I wanted to be all-sufficient. I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to be it all, do it all, have it all. I'm going to give you a quick example. During a student trip down to Wichita with some guys one time, and they weren't taking the stuff Adam had. Uh, we, we, don't, that kind of, we didn't do that kind of stuff. Adam carried that stuff around. But we were on our way down there, and one of the guys asked the question, if you could be a superhero, what superpower would you want to have? And some guys were saying, I'd want super strength, or I wanted to fly. I mean, there were invisibility. And when they asked me, I couldn't think of any power that I wanted. And they're young guys, and I said, give me some more superheroes and some more powers. And they started going through a list, and they said one that so struck me. It was James Arthur Madrix. I'd never heard of the guy. It's a Marvel character. His name is Multiple Man. And he has the ability to replicate and make hundreds of himself. And I said, that is the superpower I would want. Because if there could be a hundred of me, imagine all the Bible studies, all the things I could get done. My to-do list would never, it would always be cleaned every week, right? I would be everything, everything I wanted to do. I would be able to be all in all if I was this guy. Uh, and that really, and by the way, one of his replicate, well, did he replicate himself, actually became a minister. Isn't that funny? So that really, when that does fit me really well. If I could only have the replicating part, I, I don't have that. But I really wanted to be the all-in-all. All. But my limitations and weakness kept frustrating me. Weaknesses and limitations. Uh, Scrooge, would, Scrooge would say to those, bah humbug, right? And that's how I felt, right? So let me define weakness for the sake of this morning's message. I'm not talking, when I talk about weakness, I'm talking about sins or moral flaws. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. That's for another day. I define weakness as any limitation in my life that I inherited, I can't control, I didn't ask for, that I cannot change. Any limitation like that, physical limitations. You know, something that just, I'm a, as a creature, I'm limited. So physical limitations, temperamental, emotional limitations, um, intellectual limitations that I can't know at all, time limitations, energy limitations, resource limitations, spatial limitations, I can't be everywhere, Right? Limitations in the number of people that I can know and influence. Um, ability or talent limitations. Either not lacking an ability, not having one, or in the degree that, I was, that God gave it to me. Um, that's just some of the limitations that I think we all struggle with. Do we, am I the only person that struggles with all of that? I think the reality is we all struggle with that, right? We all want to deny and hide our weaknesses. We want to push them aside. We want to get rid of them. We want God to take them away from us. I think we resent them, and I feel like we live in a culture that really exacerbates this, a culture that's always telling us to strive harder, work harder, do more, be successful, right? That the last thing you want to be in our culture is a failure. The last thing you want to be here is to be, be, be limited, and I feel like I think it's human nature after Adam, but I think our culture in America especially, that weakness is something to be rejected, right, to be hidden and gotten rid of. And so the question is, what do we do with our creatureliness, with our weaknesses and limitations? What do we do with that? Like Adam, I can doubt his wisdom and goodness in designing me that way, or I can trust him with it. Um, I can either rebel against those limitations, or I can submit myself to his sovereign goodness. I can see my limitations as a prison, 
or I can see them as a gift. And there's a big difference between the two because I was seeing them as a prison and I knew as we talked that day, we knew something had to change. And we ended up in Paul, 2 Corinthians, if you would turn there. If you've got one of the green Bibles, I know a few people have picked those up. It is page, I think it's 808 in the green Bible. I really long to be like Paul as we talked about him. And we're going to be in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And I want you to see what Paul, I want you to see his posture towards weakness and limitations, towards being a creature and not the creator. So in 2 Corinthians 11, we're going to read verse 30 and then we're going to skip into chapter 12. But he starts in verse 30 and says this, If I must, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. I'll boast in the things that show my weakness. And then drop down to verse 7 of chapter 12. I'm not going to give you the background where it says, Therefore, so in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, when I read that, especially verse 3, I'm like, wow, he boasts in the things that show his weakness. A, a paraphrase says, I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, there's a few translations of this I love. I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I can even enjoy weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses. And I'm like, Paul, how could you say that? Because I could not say that. In all honesty, I could not say that. And so in these words, I really realized, as we talked that day, we both kind of realized, but I'll talk more about me, I, I, that I really didn't know what that was like, but I wanted to know. I realized that Paul had learned to admit and to accept his creatureliness and his limitations and his weaknesses, and he learned how to live in them with joy. And so as I thought about how to come into that, as we talked that day, it really came down to three things that I needed to do. Three things that I needed to do. Number one, uh, this is a lot, I'm sorry, but um, I needed to accept the first of two great confessions. I needed to start finding God more beautiful, and I needed to start finding beauty in my weaknesses and limitations. And that was, and it still is, an ongoing, trust me, it is an ongoing journey into humbly embracing my weaknesses and limitations, embracing my creatureliness. So it started first with that great confession. Um, two great confessions in the Bible. Uh, the first is in Mark eight twenty nine, when Jesus is asking his followers, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the embodiment of the God. That's the first great confession. The second confession that I needed to learn uh, is the confession of Paul in Acts 14, 15. When he was in Lystra and the people there thought that he and Barnabas were gods, Zeus and Hermes, and when they realized that here is what Paul said, here's his great confession. He said, we too are only men human like you. So here is the second confession I really needed to learn. There is a God and I'm not him. God is God. And I'm not. Uh, this is for my generation. Like Chevy Chase in Saturday Night Live. Hi, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Uh, it'd be like God saying, hi, Garen, I'm God. You're not. I'm not God. He is the creator. I'm a creature. He's finite. I'm infinite. 
He's unlimited, I'm limited, and weak. Second, so coming to that confession, there is a God and I'm not him. I'm being okay with that. Secondly, on my journey in embracing my weakness and limitation, my creatureliness, was becoming more God-centered and in the process finding him more beautiful, finding him to be the all in all. And this happened in two ways, really. It was learning to find him to be all-sufficient, and it was seeing Jesus' embrace of weakness. Um, First, he was working on me on the road to finding him to be all-sufficient, all-satisfying. It's a journey I'm still on. I'm not totally there. But he was help, started helping me to step more in his sovereignty, to trust his design of me as a creature with built-in limitations, to trust him in that, um, to remember that he's really ultimately the only one in control. There's so much I can't control to let him have that control, and I'm still growing in that one, trust me. But through all that, kind of finding God to be more sufficient, all sufficient and satisfying. But secondly, to me more profound even, was this helping Jesus, seeing Jesus' embrace of weakness, and to take him as my model. That Jesus actually chose to take the downward path into weakness and limitation. I want the path up, he sought the path down. 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Philippians 2, 68 says of Jesus, and there's reference to Genesis language in here, it's really cool. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Do you see the great reversal going on here? being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When it says he made himself nothing, I I forgot to show that to you, I'm sorry. When it says he made himself nothing, it's the Greek word kanao. The New American Standard Bible translates that he emptied himself. It's what's called the great, the kenosis in theology, because I have to have words for everything. It's this great emptying, Jesus choosing to lay aside some of his privileges and prerogatives as God, as divine, as creator, removing some of those things so he can step into human limitation. I mean, think of it. The creator, the all-sufficient, all-sustaining one took on creaturely limitations like I have. That he became obedient to death, death on a cross. And and I really want you to know that him stepping onto the cross was a display of weakness. 2 Corinthians 3.14 says he was crucified in weakness. So at the center of the gospel that I love and find beautiful is weakness. Weakness is at the very center of the gospel. I saw more and more that Jesus embraced limitation and weakness. And that's why in Hebrews 4.15 it says we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Because he's been there and done that. And then the third thing was, in my journey into trying, in God helping me humbly accept my creatureliness, my limitations and weaknesses, was for me to find beauty in my weakness, instead of a curse to find beauty. And again, this all comes from Paul. Um, What we just read in 2 Corinthians 11. Um, Just focusing on that passage, we spent a lot of time in it that day, and realizing the reality is, is that God, our, my frailty and my humanness is not a surprise for him. And actually, when he designed me limited, he did that with a purpose. There was a purpose in that. 
that my weakness is actually a part of his glorious plan for my life. The thing I was fighting against is a glorious gift to me from his hand. And that God wants to work through my weakness, not around it. I kept trying to work around my weakness, and he wanted to work through it. Paul knew they served a purpose, and I want to hit three. There's kind of a lot of sub-points in all this, so I apologize. But Paul found purpose in weakness, three things. Number one, dependence upon God. Our weakness, he uses our weakness to show our need for him. And it's implied all in this text. Um, but Charles Taylor, I like how he translated verse 14, verse 10. He says this, the less I have, the more I depend on him. Is that not true? That the less I have, the more I depend on him. So it's really through my awareness of my limitations, and if I'll live into them, that, that that forces me to become more dependent on God. And what better place to be than there, right? Dependent upon him. Instead of dependent, uh, which doesn't work, <laughs> to be God-dependent. The second purpose I think Paul found in weakness is the experience of God's power in our lives. I really love how J.B. Phillips translates the end of verse 9. This, he translates it this way. Our weakness means a deeper experience of the power of Christ. Our weakness means a deeper experience of the power of Christ. And I want you to know it's not just any power. In Philippians 3.10, Paul calls it resurrection power. And in Ephesians 1.19, he says it is incomparably great power to us. So God wants to powerfully work through us. And the place he does that is in our weaknesses. And so my weakness is actually a gift because through that, I can experience him working in and through me in ways I can never do it alone. And then finally, our weaknesses serve to show off God. They help me to be dependent on him. They, help, they allow me to experience his power, and they show off God. Again, Taylor puts the end of verse 9 this way. My weakness serves to be a living demonstration of Christ's power. And I remember that day when we were looking at this. We were drawn back to 2 Corinthians 5, 4, 5 to 7. I've got it up here in the New Living Translation. Can I just read it? We don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. For God has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory. Remember, that means the beauty, the beauty of God that is seen in the face of Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. I want you to know what Paul's saying here is our weaknesses serve to show him off. And I want to show you, I mean, I just want to show you what Paul's saying here. Um, man, I'm way behind on these. <laughs> that he is the great treasure. He's the one that's primary. I just like different translations of this. This great treasure, this precious treasure, this priceless treasure of God in me. So he's the treasure and I'm simply the vessel. I'm the vessel. That I have the honor of being a container of that treasure. I'm, I have the honor of being a container of the treasure. As ordinary, flawed, cracked clay pots. That's what we are. I mean, different translation of this. Jars of clay. I mean, there's a music group called that. Fragile clay jars. Phillips, a common earthenware jar. Eugene Peterson, the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. Don't you like that one? Paul, why common earthenware jars? Why the weakness? Why the limitations? Why this creatureliness? And he says it at the end of verse 7. Because this makes clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. To show this all-surpassing power is from God. To show the splendid power of it belongs to God. 
so everyone can see that the glorious power within must be from God and is not our own. So why my limitations? To show off him and his power to people. So often, my focus is on my limitations, my clayness, my creatureliness, rather than focusing on the treasure that's inside that is to be shown through that. Does that make sense? I focus so much on the clayness of who I am that I forget I've got a treasure and to show him off. And that it should be my pleasure to show off that treasure through my limitations. And this was really huge to me um, because my struggle was really related to mission, being on mission with God. I can't be on mission with you the way I need to because my limitations keep me from doing for you the things that you need done. And I realized, I mean, as, as my friend almost said his name, <laughs> as we talked that day, we kind of came to realize that in our mind, what were barriers to mission, our limitations, were actually advantages that helped the mission of God. Because in my limitations and my creatureliness and my weakness, that allows Him to shine through me to people. And rather than being a barrier to mission, that actually being a limited creature containing a treasure that can shine through you, that actually that, that enhanced the mission of God. Does that make sense? What I saw is keeping me from doing what God wanted was actually His way of working through me in a way that I didn't understand, that it actually propelled mission. I'm sure you guys figured that out a long time ago. It took me a long time to get to understand that. But what I thought was a barrier to mission wasn't. But what I came to realize is is we're all like kintsugi. That's what, I don't know if these are easy to see. It's a Japanese form of art where when a piece of pottery is broken that a potter makes, rather than throw it away, what he'll do is he'll take lacquer and gold powder and he'll put it back together and by doing that make it more beautiful than before because now this gold gets to shine forth and that's exactly what happens with my weaknesses that I'm that God is like in making you a creature that's limited and you have weakness that actually in that I can shine through you and that there's actually beauty in that and people can see me and so that started giving me the freedom and giving me a journey to be more honest about my cracks and my weaknesses and my limitations. Trust me, I'm not fully there yet. But it started giving me more freedom with that. And I started to see that the very things that really frustrated me, the limitations I struggled with that I fought to overcome, the things I was embarrassed about and ashamed of and wanted to hide from people, that those were the very things God wanted to use to demonstrate his glory. So, here's the journey I'm on still, trust me, still on. We talked just before worship. We're still kind of on this journey. I'm learning to be okay with my weakness, learning, plotting in that, because the truth is, is with less of, God, with less of me, there's more of God. With less of me, there's more of God. I'm learning to confess that God is good and wise in his design of me, even in his design of my limitations. I'm starting to walk, not starting, I mean, I kind of started then up and down, three steps forward, two steps back, but walking a path of more acknowledging my limitations and weakness, accepting them, being grateful for them, sometimes delighting in them, embracing them, and even sharing them. Not perfectly, mind you, trust me. This whole thing that day really started 
he and I both on a path. We still talk about this when we get together. So with Paul, I'm learning slowly to see the beauty of my weakness and limitations. To embrace the reality of who I am as a creature. To be content with the limitations that go with being a creature with not being God. And to be happy not being God. I'm learning with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 19 to boast about the things that show my weakness. I am learning to be glad about how weak I am. Trying, working at taking pleasure in my weakness, delighting in my weakness, even enjoying my weakness. Aren't those powerful words? Because my weaknesses make me more dependent on him. They allow me to experience greater power, his power in my life, and they show him off to people. So slowly finding rest and contentment in his grace, because he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is enough for you. It's all you need. It's sufficient. That's all you need. And with Paul in Galatians 2.20, I'm learning to trust him with my weakness and limitations and to submit. The thing that I was struggling with, the things Adam and Eve didn't want to do, which is trust and submit in their creatureliness. So with Paul in Galatians 2.20, trying to learn that, wherein the new living says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthy body. This is Garen. Oh, let me, sorry, sorry, I didn't turn there. The green is Garen added stuff. That's not in scripture, okay? So I live in this earthly body with all of this, my inherent and creaturely limitations, okay? I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm trying with Paul to learn to do that. Live in this earthly body with my limitations, trusting him. Um, it is very countercultural. It's against everything our culture tells us, but I am trying to learn to throw all of my weakness into his greatness. To quote Carol Alderman, learning to gladly live into the truth that I am gloriously inadequate, right? And when you say it, it's like I'm gloriously inadequate because true freedom is found in living within our created creaturely limitations that's where true freedom is found not fighting against it like i was and the result of all of this of learning to not be the be all have all do all to finding god to be the all in all the all sufficient all satisfying one is that guilt is slowly gradually replaced with joy fear with trust and shame with a sense of his love because in him, I'm significant. In him, I'm secure. In him, I'm smiled upon. And in all of my weakness, in him, in all of my weakness and limitations, I actually have enough, I am enough, and I've done enough. I don't have to live outside of those. He's like, you've done enough. That's okay. I'll do the rest. My grace is sufficient. So here's what I learned that day as he and I talked, that when I live out of an achieved identity, I struggle with and I fight against my limitations. When I'm living out of an achieved identity, I am struggling and fighting against my limitations. But when I'm living out of a received identity, I can be content with my limitations. I can be content with my limitations. So question I have for you, for me all week. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but especially this week. I want to know which describes you right now. 
Right now, in reality, are you fighting and struggling with your limitations, your creaturelessness, or are you able to live rested and content in it? Which of those best describes you? My challenge is for let us all let go of the need to make ourselves like God, to become God-like, and let us embrace our creatureliness. Let's stop trying to be the be-all, the do-all, the have-all. Because when we do that, we live in an identity that's all about proving ourselves and performing for others and protecting what we have. And that requires an enormous amount of emotional energy, and it wears you out. That's probably why so many people in our culture who have bit, taken that bait to self-create an identity are struggling so much with fear and anxiety and depression is because they're trying to live out of their creatureliness and not live into who God created them to be. So let's stop pretending. This is for me, for all of us. Let's stop acting as if we've got it all together. Let's stop trying to be perfect in front of each other. Let's let our hair down a little bit and allow our limitations and our weaknesses to show. Let's quit resisting our limitations and let's start resting in him. That's why those two words are on this card. Let's quit resisting our creatureliness and our limitations. Let's start resting in them because they're a gift from God. So that's the challenge. Um, We want to end with worship. Um, Wow, thanks for allowing me to do that. That was kind of standing in front of everybody and telling you my struggles with weakness and limitations. Um, I do that because I think we're all there, right? I think we're all there. We went in with some worship, um, a song about finding God to be everything and a song about how much we need him. I, I want to give you a chance to respond. Maybe nobody feels like responding. I don't know. But if you really struggle with this and you're like, I struggle with my creature lists, my limitations, my weakness, and I need to lay that down to him, there are some cards up here. I didn't put them out, but they're up on the end of the rows. And if you want to grab one of these, it just says my creatureliness, my weakness, my limitations. If, if you feel like, like, I need to lay this down for the Father and say, Lord, I'm done with being the creator, right? The guy who can do everything. I want to live into this. I want to learn to embrace it like Paul. I don't know what that's like, but I want to be on that journey. So if that's you this morning... You know, during the worship, come grab one, lay it down, pray to him, offer it to him, and then you can take your seat back. So would you stand with us? Bowing here, I find my rest.
lay it down, God. us, teach us. So teach my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. We're going to continue on. We have one more song. Um, if you've been in the church for, I don't know, more than 20 years, maybe you've heard it. Uh, we probably haven't done it here before, but you are my all in all. Um, at the end, we're going to do something a little bit different. Again, I'm inviting you into the worship team today. Uh, this side of the room is going to follow Sarah singing the Jesus part. Jesus. Lamb of God, the chorus. This side of the room is going to follow me singing the verses. So we'll be singing different things at the same time, but trust me, it goes together. And if you get lost, what part am I? Just sing whatever. Sing whatever comes easily. Um, just for us to declare that God is our all in all, that we are going to trust him. I feel like that's what it means to come up here and put one of these papers down, that we're going to trust him. Maybe that's not a struggle for you. You already have done it, and you're practiced. You can still do that. It's just something we're doing together um, that means something. And you can do it in your place there, too. I just really encourage you to deal with that with the Lord today. Let this be a day where, you're, from now on, I'm trusting you with my limitations and my weaknesses because we are all gloriously inadequate for him to shine through us. So let's sing this together. You are my strength when I am weak. When we get ready for it. All right, here we go. Tell him, you are my strength. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a 
precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Sing Jesus. part where this side of the room is going to follow Sarah and sing the Jesus and then you all follow me with the parentheses okay here we go you are my strength when I am weak you are the pray. Lord Jesus, everything within me fights against my creaturely limitations and weaknesses. And it's just an ongoing battle, even though I'm growing in it, but there's just those three steps forward, two steps back, and I so 
desperately need your grace. And I have a feeling that's true of probably everybody here. We live in a world that wants to hide limitations and weakness, Lord. May we be a people that does the opposite, that we are happy to embrace and delight in our weakness, just as Paul. May we be people like you, Lord Jesus, who, instead of seeking the upward path, you came down into weakness. You're the one who can come to us in our time of need because you've been there and you've experienced weakness so you can help us with your grace. So we ask for that. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, 12, you're sent as weak, limited creatures uh, to those around you this week.